Romans chapter 12, you might be surprised to find that we're in Romans chapter 12, but that's our series called Committed to Worship. And I want to introduce this morning an appeal to ask you to think. I'm really serious about that. Because we all know, and believe me, I know just as well as you do, that it is so easy to come to church and not shift your mind into gear. So I'm going to ask that you try your hardest to think this morning and to really think in a way that is not just informationally. Now listen, I'm going to give you some information this morning. In fact, I think I'm going to give you a lot of information this morning. But information alone is not going to do much for your life. It's really not all about knowing about God. It's not trying to amass more information about the Bible. It's about getting what we know of God down into our hearts where we live the way the people of God ought to. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going to ask you to to really think and really engage personally with what the Word of God says this morning. How well do we love others? In fact, how well do we love others when people, the people that we are to love are at the bottom of the social pole in our culture? You see, Paul has given us, so far, four ways that a fully committed believer should live toward all people, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. There's seven total. We're going to hit the next three today. We're going to finish this particular ripple in Romans chapter 12. Seven ways that we ought to be living toward people in the church and outside of the church, all people. Here we go. Here's a quick review. Number one was pray for those who hurt us. Now, I don't mean only physically. Sometimes that is true. We do get physically hurt. But Paul used the word persecute. Those who follow after us, pursue us with evil intent to do us harm, pray for them. And he said, really mean it. Be genuine. Be sincere about it. Third, rejoice with those who rejoice. Share in God's goodness to other people. When God's good with other people, when God is blessing other people, we ought to be rejoicing with them because it's God's goodness, mercy, and grace and love that's coming to them. That's cause for rejoice. Because His grace and goodness and mercy has been abundant already to us. In the same way, when people are weeping, we need a number four, share in God's comfort to others. Come to them, point to them, point them to the God of all comfort. That's what Paul means. Now I want to bring something to your attention. I want you to look up on that screen behind me. And I want you to count with me how many times the word with occurs. I've underlined it to make it a little easier. Here it is. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, but but associate with the lowly if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Five times. Five times in these three verses, we all know that it's a basic law of interpreting and translating and learning what the Word of God says. When you see something repeated, 
You got to take notice. It's the way that God italicized, puts an exclamation point, underlines, bold, shouts. You got to get this. So he's telling us that the fully committed believer lives relationally, not in isolation, involved with people moving toward others, taking the initiative, even when it seems as if it is always you making the effort and never the other person. We are to live toward people. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Tim, why do you have to belabor these things? I mean, just say it once and move on, would you please? Gives me a headache. I know a lot of believers who don't live this way. Now, here's, a, here's an insight. Sometimes I don't live this way either. Because sometimes it's easier to live towards me and towards my own family and not towards people that sometimes hurt me. I had one gentleman years ago that was studying the Bible. I worked with him one summer. It was a drug and rehab residential center. And this man had been rescued from a life of smoking crack and the Lord freed him from the addiction. And so now he read the Bible and studied the Bible almost literally around the clock when he wasn't eating and sleeping. And Oscar was encouraged to get out and relate with people. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. I want to know God. Well, I like the knowing God part. But the ultimate conclusion of knowing God is loving people that he puts in your life, your lives. So it's not all about just sitting and cloistered, studying the Bible. It's about moving towards people with the gospel, the power of the word of God. Five times he tells us to move towards people, be with people. So what are we going to learn this morning? We're going to finish the list of seven. There's three more. I'm going to finish them this morning, Lord willing. And the first one that we're going to look at this morning, which is number five, is this one. Be impartial. Be impartial. Now, that's not terribly explanatory. So let's kind of work into this a little bit by letting me set the stage with this story. Stan Makita. I don't know if you ever heard of the man's name. He was a professional <laughs> hockey player. He was a hockey star. He was, he was phenomenally good. But he used to get into a lot of fights during the games. Now, I want to explain to you, I want to share with you one, one incident that changed the way that Stan played the game. His eight-year-old daughter asked him a very grown-up question, and here it is. Daddy, how can you score goals when you're always in the penalty box? Now, I want you to hear that for a second. Stan was a fighter. Stan learned to change his game. Now, can I speak, please, give me a little grace, just to be a little transparent with you this morning. I am continually amazed how easily upset we Christians can get with each other. 
Friends, I cannot overstate this. Please give me grace to share my heart. There's nothing that grieves my pastor's heart more. Listen, I could take horrible sin from people coming into my office and telling me heinous behavior. I don't mind that when they're repentant because they're about to receive God's grace. But when Christians mistreat Christians, get upset, divide, there's nothing, I mean, bar nothing that grieves me more than that. You really feel in ministry sometimes like a fireman, always putting out a fire. Now, you've given me grace, I hope. If not, just remember, God won't give it to you. It's what James says. Let me say this. The Lord is somehow giving me a lot of patience, and I'll tell you how he's given me a lot of patience. Every time I get really, really angry, all of a sudden a mirror pops up, and the Word of God begins to reflect my own junk, my own easily jealous, envious, angry, schism-prone heart. And all of a sudden I find, you know what? I can endure in this. But can we just start this morning honestly? Let's be real with each other. Ready? Everybody look at me. We are terrible peacekeepers. Can we just admit it? We're terrible peacekeepers. If a week goes by that I don't get an email or somebody angry at another person in our church, it's been a glorious vacation. We get easily upset with each other. And it grieves the heart of God. You know what Ephesians 4.30 says, right? In the context of tearing one another down, it says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. Did you know that you can actually... Jerry, are you wandering around? You're scaring the snot out of me. All right. I'm just making sure in my under... Very good. I'm just making sure I didn't see a bulge under your suit coat. Do you know that you can grieve God? Do you know what it means to feel grief? We all do, right? Did you know you can actually create grief in God's heart when you mistreat or impatient, do not join in unity with a brother and sister? That's what Paul is teaching. So be impartial means that maybe, maybe if we're just utterly honest and courageous, we can all just come to one point of departure as we look in this and say, you know what, we're not very good peacekeepers. We're not really very good at living in harmony with one another because it takes constant humility. It takes a constant perpetual willingness to forgive the offenses of others and seek peace like you seek error. So what's it mean when Paul says live in harmony with one another? You know what the word harmony means? It's really not very complicated. It just means to have the same mind with each other. That's what it means, harmony. Have the same mind with each other. Now listen, that's great little bit of information that will have zero transformational power in your life if you don't begin saying, hmm, how do I do with pursuing the same mind with other people. All right, so let's start with that. The word describes, the word harmony describes 
the process of combining an opinion, which we all have, with a sentiment or a feeling or a belief system. It's the two combined that Paul says live in harmony. Have an, have an opinion that is filled up with a genuine sympathy or sentiment. sentiment. In other words, it's really close to the word regard. Have a regard for other people. Now, what does that word mean? Now, some of you might be going, is he going to define everything he says this morning? No, almost, but not everything. Here's what regard means. It means simply to think highly of somebody or something. So if I have a high regard for Suzanne Nuck, it means that I really think fondly of her. I have a high opinion of her. That's my opinion and my emotions follow. I can't wait till she comes over to our house because she's now our neighbor, right? That's what it means to have a high regard for somebody. Paul's telling us to have a respectable opinion. Listen, this is key. You ready? For all people. Now, if you're really thinking, if you're engaged, if you're interacting, immediately what's popping up in your mind like a pop-up on your internet is, wow, everybody? You mean not just those who are Christians and easy to love because we think the same thing, but you mean unbelievers as well? Doesn't mean to see every issue the same way. It means, listen, to see through every issue, to see through every issue to the value and the importance of the person. It's paramount. It means to be impartial toward other people. It doesn't mean uniformity in the way we think with one another. It means harmony in our relationships. It's a regard for others even when they believe and behave differently from us. It means to live in harmony with one another because it's genuinely how we pursue Christ-like love in a relationship. And that power can overcome obstacles and differences between us. Now, friends, please, I really, really want you to be careful to hold this in check, what I'm saying. It really would be easy to, to walk out of here and think that Pastor Tim's telling you that you have to think the way unbelievers do. They have the minds set on the flesh, Romans says. We've got minds that are set on the Spirit, on God. We can't always think the same way. So he's not asking, Paul's not asking us to agree with or even pass off as acceptable that which is displeasing to God. We can't compromise the ideals of Christianity. But here's what he's saying. He means that we need to not allow ourselves to let these differences separate us from one another. Not just in the church, but from us in the world. He's saying, set your mind on the person, move past the issue, and genuinely love others in the power of God's Spirit. Now, friends, I'm taking great, almost painful deliberation in explaining this because, ready, here it is. If we're really honest, which we've got to be, we're the people of God, we've got to be honest. If we're really genuinely sincere to think about this, we'll know how difficult this really is. You ready? Here's a test. 
What goes through your mind when you see an openly gay person? Or when you talk to somebody that strongly is part of a political party that you can't stand? Or what happens in you? Let's be honest. What happens in your heart and in your thinking part of your heart, your mind, when that Hispanic or Middle Eastern family moves into the neighborhood right next to you? I mean, I could go on. What do you think when you go downtown and you drive around that circle and on Friday morning see all the 30 to 40 people sitting there? What goes through your mind when you regard them? Do you see how hard this is? What Paul is teaching us and exhorting us goes way below the surface. It gets down into the very essence of a fully committed believer. Can I see people, whether they agree with me or not, whether they're believers or not, can I see them the way God does and move towards harmony with them? Harmony that says, I can love you without agreeing with you. And while you may not be my Christian brother, you're still valuable to God. You're precious to Him. You're designed in His image, just like I am. Now, Pastor Tim, I'm not sure I agree with you. Well, look what Romans 2.11 says. Just listen to this. It's not on the screen. God, four words. God shows no partiality. Friends, that is a full, I could have just really simplified this. That is what Paul is teaching. Show no partiality. We are the bearers of the good news of Christ, and who better to share that news than us Christians who deserved nothing yet have been given so much? But Paul moves on. He says, do not be impartial impartial or rather do not be what did i say it was i'm losing it it's the heat he says be impartial wow i'm horrible but secondly he says be on the level now what does that mean be on the level would you look at verse 16 with me in your bibles he says do not be haughty but associate with the lowly friends isn't isn't the word haughty it's one of those cool words that just barely finds itself in modern vocabulary. It's one of those words that's fun to use when you're kind of acting like an English noble out on a palace lawn. You know, haughty. Who uses that in regular vocabulary? Not too many of us. But friends, it's devastating. The word is devastating. I am not over-exaggerating this. The word is devastating when it exists in the Christian. Why? Because fundamentally, the word haughty was a word used to describe a high mountain. When Paul says, do not be haughty in mind, literally, he means my, literally minding high things, which is a way of saying, do not think too highly of yourself. Do not think you are greater or higher than other people, anybody else. 
high-minded people cannot fit into the world of those they consider lower than themselves. A haughty Christian is just, just easily thought through. It's like a giraffe trying to climb into a mouse cage. It just can't fit. It's pride. Now, please remember this. In fact, if you're writing notes, please write it down. Pride in Scripture always seeks to elevate yourself. And it always tries to elevate yourself by lowering somebody else. So a prideful Christian has to compare. And when I look better than you, I can feel haughty, high-minded, because I first have exposed all of your weaknesses. That's how pride works. And Paul tells us here to think about ourselves in a level way. We're not to look at ourselves as greater than or better than uh, anybody, whether they're a Christian or not. No matter how successful we might be in our careers, no matter how many achievements we might garner, the ground is always, always level at the foot of the cross. None of us contributed to our own salvation. All of us rebelled against God in sin. The fully committed believer, friends, listen, this is verse 1 of chapter 12. The fully committed believer has seen how great God's mercy is to me, to you. And that mercy is the great leveler. How is that? Do you know that you can't earn mercy? Now you know that here. And I think most of us know that here. But if you try to earn mercy, you're performing. And if you get mercy because you've earned it, you've only got what is justly yours. God's mercy comes to those who did not deserve it, could not earn it. And it comes to us in great lavish display. If not for God's grace and mercy, we'd all be stuck in bondage to sin. We'd be miserable. We'd be living only for this world. None of us achieved our salvation. We didn't earn it through hard work. It was given to us despite the fact that we did not and do not deserve it. Friends, it's this mindset, which is the thinking part of our heart, the Bible calls the mind, that moves us toward all people equally, with the ability, because of the power of the gospel, which reminds me I didn't earn God's mercy, and neither can they. They don't need to earn my mercy. I can move through the disagreements. I can move past the obstacles and love them the way God loves me. Whether they have a high position or low. One of the clearest indicators of how we think about ourselves. Listen, this is true. I think you're going to agree with me. One of the clearest indicators of how we think about ourselves is who we associate with. This is the insight that Paul tells us. Look what he says. Associate with the lowly. You know who the lowly are? Years ago, Carissa, how many of you parents or, or children had to do, in her case, because her name is Carissa, had to do a flat Carissa project anybody ever heard of the flat person project 
Well, she had to do that. We sent it down to my mother-in-law in North Carolina, taking pictures of Carissa in all sorts of places in North Carolina and create the storyboard. Here's what the word lowly means. It describes something or someone that has been flattened. Isn't that interesting? The lowly were those who were insignificant in the world's eyes. You know, they were often slaves who were the lowly in the Roman Empire. But there were also the poor, those who were at the bottom of the social ladder because the ancient world knew nothing, almost nothing, of the middle class. It almost did not exist. There was poor and rich, lower and upper. In fact, one historian estimates that 90% of the Roman Empire was in the bottom rung. Can you imagine that? Except in urban locations like Corinth, Climbing the social ladder, friends, I want you to think about this, is this alien to us, was virtually impossible. People can be flattened by Satan, the world, and people, and experiences. You want to watch, you want to see flattened people, watch a person or observe a person when they get fired from a job. Observe a person when they can't make their mortgage and they lose their home. Observe a woman or a man who suffers through divorce, a person who is going through cancer. These are flattened people a lot of times. And Paul says, associate with the lowly, with the flattened of our society. You know, that word associate is very, very interesting to me. It means to be led along or carried away with. That's what it means to associate. Here's what it, here's what Paul is saying. To associate with the lowly is to so love the flattened people all around you, the needy and the broken, that you're led away with them out of a Christ-like compassion. This is the heart of Christ. Mark 2.17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, Jesus said, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners. This is what Paul was teaching by way of the way Christ lived in Philippians 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, here it is, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what it means to associate with the lowly. God loved the world. God loves the world. He sent his son Jesus to come down and to come into the garb of human flesh to live like we do for 30 years. Why did he do that? Because the love of God carried him away to the flattened of the world. 
Friends, God wants to raise lowly Christians up to be able to rejoice in hope. And he wants to raise flattened, broken unbelievers up to salvation. And friends, listen, he does this most through his fully committed followers. The question is, will we move toward lowly people? Because we are lowly people raised up in the mercy of God, but who stand on the flat level ground at the foot of the cross. And will we give them mercy? Paul is not yet done. And it might be the hardest one of all. It says, be humble. Can I ask a personal question? You don't need to raise your hand. But I would ask that you be honest. Friends, do you pray every single day of your lives for humility? Because without humility, we elevate ourselves. And when we elevate ourselves in pride, everybody looks lower than us. And we're not, they don't deserve our love. I think Paul prayed every day for it. It constantly is in his writing. We looked at verse 3 of chapter 12 in Romans. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now I want you to see something in this context. Here is the context, verse 12. There's a larger context, but here's the immediate one. Rejoice and hope or I'm sorry, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate, associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. That's the immediate context. Here's the tense in the Greek. Ready? This is interesting. It really means stop being conceited. Not don't be conceited in the future. Stop now and never do it again because a lot of Roman believers and a lot of us, me included, we get conceited. But what is conceit? You know what it is? It's the notion that we possess wisdom that we don't in reality have. That's what it means, conceited. It's to be wise in our own eyes. It's to think you know exactly how the other person feels. And so you help that person without getting dirty in the trench. That's the context. We overestimate our wisdom. And here's the result. You ready? Non-relational advice or money. Rather than rolling up the sleeves and getting dirty to pull people out of the mud. Do you now know why Paul says never be conceited after he tells us to live in harmony? and associate with the lowly, because conceit says, I have risen above you. And I'm not responsible for you. So if you want help, you want to get out of the mud, here's what I have to offer. And it's utterly contrary to the life of Christ, who left heaven to come live with us, so that we could leave sin, the power of it, 
and live in righteousness with him. Friends, did you know that humility, while it was a virtue for a Jew, it was utterly despised by the Greek? I'm not kidding. The Greeks relegated humility to the lowly who ought to be humble. They deserved to be humble. People were in the trenches because it was their lot in life. They're flattened because the gods have decreed it. So you just have to accept it, was the message of the Greeks. Here's what Paul has said. I'm going to share with you one more insight from this verse, but let me summarize what we've got to now. You ready? Paul has just told us three, the same three things, but from three different angles. We're to live in harmony with each other, and here's how. You ready? Here's what he's just said. I just taught you. Never become haughty and high-minded. Find the level ground at the foot of the cross and love those who are considered of low worth. And third, never be filled with pride because pride always elevates our notion of who we are and diminishes our notions of who other people are. That's what Paul just said, all of that, so that we can live in harmony with other people. But here's the final thing I want to share with you as I bring this to a close. And I'm going to put it up on the screen behind me so that it makes more sense to you. And here's what that verse says with the addition of a couple Greek words. Be of the same mind from neo toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind for neo, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise phronimos. It's the same root word in your own estimation. Phroneo is a verb. And it means to exercise your mind, not your informational capacity holder. Called your brain. But the thinking part of your heart, exercise it, he says twice. And then the third one, he uses a different word. It's an adjective that just describes a conceited behavior. Don't be this, he says. Don't think of yourself as wiser than you are. Now, why am I bringing that out? Let me say this and we're done and we're going to move into communion. Friends, the mind is not a repository of information from which you can retrieve useful bits when you need it. It functions as the thinking part of our hearts and it's referred to in a lot of ways in Scripture. Here they are, just a few. Affections, the will, reason, Opinions, attitudes, viewpoint, perspective, mindset. This is the way the Bible talks about the mind. And every human being has a mind. But it's only believers who have the mind of God. And all three points today, being impartial toward all people, being on the level and associating with all people and being humble, all three of them start in our minds. So here it is. You ready? As I close, this is the most important part of the message. If this is not renewing our minds, the thinking portions of our heart, we cannot live what Paul is saying. Can you trust me on that? If you don't, that's fine. I don't blame you. I don't trust everything a pastor tells me either. Go back to the Bible. 
Go back to Psalm 1 and find that it's the one who meditates day and night that's going to be like a tree planted by streams of water which will yield its fruit in due season and whose leaf will not wither and everything you do prosper to the glory of God. It's only the word of God that can renew the mind that when it's renewed, the spirit of God renews the heart, transforming it to be the people of God. Please listen. What are you doing with this? What are you doing with the Bible? It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You've got the capacity, if you're in Christ, to understand it. Because it's the Spirit of God that illuminates it. It's our only hope to be a people that can live in harmony with other people and bring them the message of the gospel. We're going to move into communion I cannot emphasize enough as a bookend to what I mentioned in the beginning. We grieve God's spirit when we fight with one another. When we withhold love from one another, when we will not press on with the hard work of living in harmony with one another, we grieve God. I hope you agree with me. It is so abundantly clear in Scripture, friends. We've got to be the people of God that know how to love one another and love people outside of this church. It's by our love that all men will know that we are His disciples. Amen? Can I encourage you this morning as we prepare to celebrate soberly communion? Just take a minute to look inward. How are you doing with God? Are you at peace with Him? Have you done what we encourage our own children, what Denise and I encourage each other? Have you held out your feet and asked God to wash them, the sins and the muck of this world? And not only that, but how are you doing with each other? There's always conflict somewhere. But if you've begun to step towards that person and the message of peace, the power of love, and trusted that Christ can bridge the chasm. If you have not yet done that, maybe a root of bitterness has sprung up by which the Bible says many are defiled. Can I please, please encourage you? Withhold yourself from the communion this morning. And let this be a catalyst, a motivator to do what you can in your power to love one another and trust that God can enable you to do that. The men that are going to serve this morning, if you could come down. We're going to frame communion this morning around the sermon. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's uh, where I usually go. God loves the world if you have an unsaved friend or family member please know god loves that person with all of who he is that person is precious to him just like you are and god loves the world and so he sent his only begotten son 
left heaven, came down here, Jesus, because of the love of God, came down here to suffer humiliation from the very literal day of his birth. He was born in an animal trough, rubbed with salt and wrapped with strips of linen in what we think is a cave. There was no room at the inn. Quite honestly, inns weren't that great anyways. Back then. That's how much God loves. That he would work through the barrier of sin, pressing on to find its solution and live in harmony with us. I find that amazing. Not only that, but that he came to people who were flattened by sin. That's us. We've all been flattened by sin. That's what God does. His love compels him to be carried away with flattened by sin people. That's incredible. What mercy. And he did that because God has never been and never will be wiser than he really, think that he's wiser than he really is. He's never conceded. I mean, what incredible humiliation and humility to live as one of us and to serve us, Jesus said, and to become a ransom for sin. Can we take that into, into communion this morning and remind ourselves like we do every first Sunday of the month, God loves you. You are what the Bible says, the apple of his eye. You are what the Bible says, his treasured possession. Do you know that here and the thinking part of your life that forms the way you live. Here's what he says, Paul does. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, remembrance of me is not the recall of information. It's the reliving of the event. So how do we celebrate soberly this? Well, look what he says if you're open to it. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here it is, you proclaim the Lord's death. Here we go. Hold that intention with this until he comes. So we're celebrating because he's coming back, but what a high cost. The death of Jesus for our salvation, for flattened people like you and I celebrate soberly let me pray lord thank you for what we are about to remember lord and recall the event that we're about to live father you displayed your love more clearly in jesus christ than in any other form and lord we can relive the event of when those children were brought to you and the disciples like probably all of us would have done try to try to keep them from getting there, yet you grabbed hold of that little child and those children and bounced them on your knee. And Lord, we recall and we relive that one day you stooped down and you wrote in that sandy dirt of Palestine something that scattered the very people who had rocks in their hands to kill that adulteress. 
Lord, you hung around with drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors because you came to save them. There is nobody too low that grace can't find. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. That he has raised up flattened lowly people and set us on high places in Christ. Amen.